Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. This is sermon number two, part two on uh, the, the first beatitude, the first kingdom ethic. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Last week, we talked about the definition. We're, we're working on a definition, what it means to be poor in spirit. And the last week, we talked about the definition of poor in spirit. Uh, we, we hammered on the word dependence. Remember? That what it means to be poor is dependent. If I don't have anything, I'm dependent. And the kingdom of God belongs to the little children, not because little children are so pure, but because they're dependent upon their parents for everything. A brand new baby would literally die if no one took care of it. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And so it's this idea we're building on the definition of poor in spirit to be dependent. And by the way, those who are the most dependent upon God, those are the ones that the kingdom belongs to. That's crazy. That's crazy, right? We're going to give the kingdom to the people who, uh, who uh, are the least able to do it on their own. That kind of makes sense now, doesn't it? That makes sense? So today we're going to add a second layer to dependency. Uh, this phrase, poor in spirit, back then, in those times, it was an idiom that literally meant a humble dependency or a humble attitude towards God. So now it's not just that we are dependent, it's that we're humbly dependent upon God is our working definition. I think that's the second section there in the notes. A humble dependency upon God. So today we're going to talk about humility. Somebody say amen. amen. Raise your hand if you're humble. Okay. She's, oh, oh, bad time to scratch your head. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Right. Right. See, right. Nobody wants to raise their hand and say I'm humble because that's kind of like, oh yeah, I am the most humble guy here. Right? So, a humble dependency upon God. And I'm going to bring out some stuff um, that I hope will... My goal is to just take Scripture and just keep throwing it out there and throwing it out there and, in a sense, just pounding you with it until you go, okay, this is what the Scripture says. That makes sense? This is the attitude of the Scripture. This is the attitude of the Word. So, a humble dependency upon God. Now, if I'm going to talk about humility... Obviously, you guys who've been with us with, with me for a while, you know my most favorite passage of scripture in the Bible. I mean, I love it. It is my, it is like it is my most favorite passage of scripture is Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. So put it on the screen, brother. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind, this attitude, some versions say, let this way of thinking be your way of thinking. This mind that was in Christ Jesus. So it says this. Have this attitude in yourself. Uh, you could say a B attitude. In yourself. That is the same attitude. The same way that Jesus lived. That makes sense? We need to stop right now and pray. Holy Ghost, we love you. We thank you for the word. Your word is life. It is a lamp into our feet. It is a light into our path. God, we want to hide it in our hearts and not 
uh, and not stumble over anything and not turn away from you and not sin against you, God. We want the word deep in our spirits. We want to be people of the word. We pray right now that your word would not just be uh, understood in our in our mind, but God, it would it would root itself down into our spirit, man. God, it would take root in our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, and God, that we would be transformed and conformed to the image of Christ as we gaze upon your word this morning. Everybody who agrees with that, say, Amen. "Let this mind be in you that was in Christ." This is insane. Okay. The scripture is insane. Verse 6, who as he already existed in the form of God. This is, this is crazy to me that the God of the universe, right, existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God to be something to be grasped. In other words, he didn't have to hang on to his God status. He didn't have, to, he didn't have to, to, to have a death grip on his God status. I can't let go of it. I might lose it. Right? He, didn't, he wasn't trying to stay up the top. But what the Bible says, uh, he uh, already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied. Everybody say emptied. He let go of it. He, uh, he emptied himself by taking the form of a, not just the likeness of men, but a particular kind of man. The bondservant man. Remember my little talk last week about the prodigal son who's willing to be a bondservant before he could ever be embraced back into the uh, the heart of the father's house? So Jesus comes with not only an attitude of, it's insane, it's insane enough that the God of the universe would become a man. That's just crazy talk, right? That's insane already. But to become of the lowest kind of man, see what I'm saying? Like the slave man. He emptied himself. In other words, I don't, I'm not going to stay up here and grab and keep a hold of my godlike status. He's still God, but I'm not going to hang on to the godlike status like it's, it's something I can lose. But I'm going to do it, I'm going to let go of it, and I'm going to come down to man's level, and I'm going to put myself in the position of a man, not just a man, the bondservant type man. That's insane. That's how much he loved the Father and how much he loves us. Next verse, verse 8. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled. Everybody say humbled. Uh, You could say like this. He became poor. He humbled himself. I mean, if you're the God of the universe and you become a bondservant, you become poor. He let his entrance into the world is through a teenage girl laying in a manger. He chose it that way. That makes sense? This is what the God of the universe did. And here, Paul's telling you, you need to be like this. See, mankind's always trying to work their way up, right? Go up, go up, go up, go up. No, I'm joking. Anytime that go up, I get the, the mankind's trying, trying to climb the ladder higher. Jesus starts up high and climbs the ladder low. Yeah. 
do this, Paul said. By the way, the appearance of a man versus the appearance of the God of the universe. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's all a step down. The most handsome guy in here is the ugliest thing to ever exist in, next to God. Right? Say amen, Chester. Amen. Right? That's a joke, kind of. So. But not only did he humble himself becoming obedient, uh, a bond servant, but he becomes obedient to the point of death. What? The giver of life becomes obedient to death? The creator of life who never knew anything what it means to die becomes a slave and then subjects himself to death. That's insane. We read through these scriptures and we just kind of back, you know, that's what we've always learned. Now, this is insane. The one who spoke the worlds into existence, let there be light. John 1 1 says, In him in the beginning, the light was the life of men, right? Let there be light. Let there be life. The, the creator of life now comes low and says, I will die. That's crazy. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And not only is he going to die, but he's not going to die a nice, peaceful, old age death. He's going to be tried as a criminal falsely, and he's going to submit himself to execution. Verse 9, for this reason. What reason? Because the high God became the lowly man. God does what? God exalts him. And listen to this language. God takes him from the low position. The low position being not only death, but going down into Hades, right? Going, uh, going, and he takes him all the way from the pit and rises him up. And, then, and he does what? He bestows on him the name which is above every name. Keep on going, verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Who do you bow before? A king. Right? And those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, because Jesus went down there and grabbed the under the earth people. Oh, verse 11, brother. And that every tongue will confess Jesus Christ, Lord, a king to the glory of God and the Father. This is, that whole passage of Scripture is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for, theirs will, for they will receive the kingdom of God. Jesus demonstrates that if you go low and become poor in spirit, then you get the kingdom. That's how he became king. He becomes king because he's willing to die. And that's where I want to jump. So I'm going to totally make everybody mad who's like a, a legit note keeper. I want you to turn like, I don't know, it's like the third page. Skip all the way down to Psalm 34. Okay? It's like a second or third page. I changed my notes this morning, but I already printed them. So lesson learned. Print out notes after I get through making changes. Y'all find Psalm 34? Uh, somebody have a Bible, like a, a real Bible on hand? Tom, turn to Psalm 34 and tell me what the heading says at Psalm 34. First person gets a prize. Psalm 34, real loud. What's it say? Psalm 34? 
What's the next little, next little section? Let me make sure I got my, my notes right here. Say it real loud. Saul was David regarding the time he pretended to be insane in front of, front of A Psalm of David regarding the time he pretended to be insane. This is the lesser known story of King David. We're going to talk about King David for a while this morning. Let's start with King David's life. King David is a little shepherd boy. I'm going to go through a lot of 1 Samuel here. Just trust me that I'm not lying about it, okay? 1 Samuel, David's a little shepherd boy. Samuel the, Samuel the prophet comes to anoint a king, come to Jesse's house, ask for all the sons. David is so insignificant, they don't even call him to the meeting. He's out in the field. He's uh, tending sheep and learning how to play his guitar and worshiping God, right? So... Finally, Samuel gets there. He has all the boys. He said, nope, none of these guys are it. Uh, do you have any more sons? Yeah, we got a son out in the pasture. Go get the pasture son, the one you didn't think should be here. Go grab him. They went and grabbed the pasture son. They bring him into the house. As soon as he walks in the door, Samuel grabs him, pours oil on his head, and, and anoints him king of Israel. At a boy's age, he's anointed king. What's the pathway to kingship? Now, stop right here. If we're doing this on a human level and we're saying, my baby boy has just been anointed king, we're going we're gonna to prep him for kingship. How would we prep him for kingship? We would start increasing his life and getting higher and higher and higher. We're going to teach him how to do all the diplomatic things. And we're going to teach him how to become this great mighty man of stature. We're going we're to teach him all the, the lofty things. That's not God's plan for how to teach David. Right? So David goes one day as a boy still, and, um, and uh, his brothers need food as they're fighting the Philistines, right? So he takes some food to his brothers. He goes out there. There's this Philistine giant who uh, his name is, I think I heard, what's his name? Goliath, okay? And Goliath's out there. He's taunting, the, he's taunting the children of Israel. He's taunting the God of Israel. David, as a small child, don't hinder the little children coming to me, for theirs is the kingdom. And why is theirs the kingdom? Because the little child is totally dependent. And in the same way, David, David's, uh, he's sitting there, and the king's, king says to him, hey, put, King Saul says, put on my armor. No, I can't depend on your armor. Hey, take my sword. No, I can't depend on your sword. Well, what do you have to depend on? The same guy who delivered me out of the hand of the bear and the mouth of the lion. Boy, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. The same God who delivered me out of all that stuff, that's the guy I'll depend on to go kill this nine-foot giant as a small child. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Totally dependent. So what's he do? He runs out there. He sticks the proverbial uh, shut your mouth up to the little Goliath. And he says, you aren't going to talk about my God that way. Puts a rock in his sling. Slings the sling. Let's go of the sling. The rock embeds into his head in a way that a young boy couldn't create that much force. It was a God-driven rock. The giant falls down. David runs up to the giant. Pulls out his sword. The giant sword. The, the sword that's almost twice as tall as the boy is, he lifts it up, cuts off the giant's head, and he declares victory. And at that moment, everybody begins to say, Saul has killed his thousand, David has killed his tens of thousands, and they start to treat him as if he's the new up-and-coming king. 
That's a good way to become, that's a good way to move up the ladder into kingship. Go kill giants and the enemies of Israel and show them how manly you are. By the way, the only way he kills the giant is complete dependency upon God. He doesn't depend on his skill. He doesn't depend on his, uh, the king's armor. He depends on nothing but God. Go back to last week. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Where you'll fight your battles. Actually, you'll let God fight your battles. Amen? Dependent upon God. So everything goes good for David after that, right? He's kind of popular. But then King Saul gets jealous. And he's like, man, you know, they're talking about you. They ain't talking about me. Because, see, King Saul, he's not a man after God's heart. He's a man after his own heart. So he gets jealous, and he's got demons. And David plays his guitar, and Saul's demons subside. But when his demons don't subside, he tries to kill David, right? And so he throws spears at him, and he tries to take him out. And he's trying to kill David. And, but at the same time, David had made best friends with the king's son, Jonathan. And they got his plan for, for David to go into hiding because King Saul is going to kill him. So King David, not yet King David, is on the run from an evil, mad king, Saul. He's on the run. He's being chased down to be murdered for being dependent upon God. Blessed are the persecuted. So he's on the run. He goes to a temple, a, a, a synagogue, if you will, and he's starving to death because he's on the run. So while he's in this synagogue, he asks the priest, he says, uh, I need something to eat. We don't have anything. We don't have no bread. You don't have anything. We got the show bread that we offered. I'll take that. I'll eat that. Jesus references this uh, later on in the Gospels, but I'll take that showbread. So he eats the showbread, and he says, I need a sword. Only sword we have here is the one you killed the giant with. We put it in the back. We had, we had it in hiding. You want Goliath's sword? Yeah, give me Goliath's sword. So he goes in hiding. He leaves that temple, belly full of God's bread, and the sword, a successful sword of victory in his hand. And he goes back to Gath or Philistine. He's back to the Philistines. The Philistine king sees him on the run. And they know he's being chased to be killed. And when he goes, because he can't, the reason he's going there, because he can't go the normal path, because if he goes the normal path, he's going to get caught by King Saul and he's going to die. So he's going through enemy territory to get into hiding, the caves of Adullam, right? And so, so he's going through enemy territory and the king of Gath, the Philistine king says, uh, what are you doing here? And, uh, and he's like, uh, uh, he can't tell him I'm, I'm being pursued to be killed because they would capture him and they would turn him over for a ransom. And they're mocking him because he's like, he's like, he doesn't know what to do. And he's getting scared. And they're like, oh, you're that king that so, uh, you know, killed the giant. You're that king who, you know, slayed the 10,000. You're that king. You know, they're mocking him. And, he's, and David has one thought. And I think he has multiple thoughts here. I think one thought he has is the temptation to take the past victory and use it again. He's got Goliath's sword in his hand. Maybe he thinks to himself, why don't I just wield that power of God again and I'll cut off this king's head the way I cut off that giant's king's head. 
If this wasn't the lesson God was trying to teach him, he already learned how to do that. He had to learn a new lesson. So his new lesson was, I'm not going to demonstrate it for you, although it would be cool. <laughs> he literally starts pretending like if he's in, uh, lost his mind, insane. He starts, the Bible says he's drooling down his beard. You want to see it? He's like drooling down his beard and like, hang on a second. <laughs> I'm teasing. But like he fakes being a madman. Now stop, because this, listen, this is the future king of Israel who is very distinguished, who is uh, appointed by God to be the next king of Israel, and he's in such trouble, look at me, he's in such trouble, he's having to drool on his beard and pretend to be a madman to get out of it. How many of y'all have ever pursued God and you thought your pathway to what God wanted you was only an uphill climb. And the harder you climbed, the higher you got, and the less you had to deal with stuff. And it would make it easier. And you didn't realize that when God called you to be king of whatever realm, you're going to have to get mad to do it. I ain't talking about angry. I'm talking about crazy. I'm talking about cray-cray. And see, that's where, are we willing? Look at me, look at me. Are we willing to be the fool? The scripture says he literally act foolish. Are we willing to be the fool in order to, as part of the process of going to the blessing for theirs is the kingdom? Does that make sense? David's going to be king one day. He's going to get the kingdom. But part of his process was to learn how to be utterly dependent like a child and to learn how to be a fool for Jesus, a fool on the pathway to the king. That's what he does. They literally say, you're crazy, go. So he goes to the cave and hides out. David was so willing to be a fool for God. Look at me, look at me, look at me. All right, time out, time out. So put up Psalm 34 for me, brother. Slide down there and find it. Psalm 34 says this. I sought the Lord. This is David who wrote this psalm. He answered me. Anybody been there? Okay, y'all are scaring me now. I sought the Lord. He answered me. Anybody been there? Any, you are really like either hands are broken or are we like, okay. Right. I sought the Lord and he answered me. Delivered me from my fears. Verse 5. They looked to him, capital H, God, and were radiant. They fixed their faces on God and their face shone with glory. And their faces will never be ashamed. Look at something. Stop, 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 stop. Go back. Go back. You becoming poor. Look at me. Becoming poor, becoming totally dependent, becoming totally a fool for the sake of Christ to follow after Jesus. You can become the greatest fool here and never experience shame if you're willing to be the fool for Christ. 
Or you can do it your way and practice sin. And when there's sin, shame's always attached. So, verse 6, David, he's writing this song, this psalm, and he's thinking about the cave, of, or he's thinking about the time he had to act like an insane man, and this is what he writes. This poor man cried. The king wrote this. The giant killing king wrote this poor man. Why? Because blessed are the this poor man cried. That poor man, that word there, it means, uh, let me find it for you. It's marked by meekness, modesty, not arrogant, not prideful. It's the concept of being extremely humble. So humble, so, uh, so willing to be humble, I will drool on myself in order to uh, follow God through the process. In other words, I don't care what I have to go through. I don't care how ridiculous it makes me look. I don't care how undignified I have to become. I will do anything to follow Jesus. Those people, theirs is the kingdom of God. And here's the cool part. Look at me. Here's the cool part. On some level, David didn't really lose that for a while, even after he became the king. Because remember, the ark was coming back. And before they stopped at the city gates and said, before it comes in Jerusalem, we gotta, it can't just walk in here. It's got to be led in here. But it's not going to be led in here by the dignified king with his robe and his scepter and, and leading the ark of the glory of God back into the temple. It's going, to be, uh, it's going to be led in here by a man who will strip down to nothing and dance like a madman in order to usher the presence back into Jerusalem. So undignified was it. We're talking about obscene indignity that his wife cursed him. This wasn't some proper, you know, well, I mean, you know, he kind of just pretended to be, no, no, he became another madman. And then isn't it ironic that at David's failures or David's fall, that he wasn't in love with peacemaking anymore. He was in love with bloodshed. And he was expressing not a dependency upon God anymore. He was expressing a dependency, a dependency upon the army he had built. So he become less poor in spirit because he's now dependent upon the census of his army. And he's not in love with peace. He's in love with the bloodshed. There's times when he had to have bloodshed to get peace, but there's times he had to have bloodshed because he loved bloodshed. Those were the two reasons the scripture gives us why he couldn't rebuild the temple. So it's one thing to, look at me, look at me. It's one thing to start pouring spirit, but you've got to finish. The older I get, the more poor I need to get. The more I'm with Jesus, the lower I need to go. I'm not trying, look, I'm not trying to get to the top of any ladder. I'm trying to go down, 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 down. And if I get exalted whatsoever, it's only because he grabs me and picks me up. Don't climb the ladder. Get, turn into a lunatic 
Welcome to church at the Armory. <laughs> I just want to say this as a clarifier. Like, it's real easy to rave against issues. Right? Uh, we're talking not necessarily about that, but sometimes about that. But we're really we're talking about turning into a madman for Jesus. Not for a set of political beliefs. Uh, become in love with the man, amen, to the point you will go crazy for him. So the preacher taught me today that to love Jesus, I need to drool on myself next time we meet for worship. <laughs> you see, but you understand what I'm saying? Like the king of Israel, David, his pathway to the throne was like this nosedive. Uh, if you have your notes, I'm, I'm skipping all around the notes, but that's okay. Uh, Dr. Let's see. Let's read Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 says this. I forgot to set the timer, so y'all just yell at me when you think I'm done. Daniel missed your point, opportunity. Isaiah 66 says this, <laughs> says, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, but the God of creation decides to go live in the footstool. Man, that's crazy, right? Okay. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, oh my goodness. God says, where then is a house? You can build for me. Where is a place that God can rest? Remember Gladstone standing right here? Y'all notice how much I'm trying not to yell because I yelled a lot last week. So I'm trying to be nice and sweet this week. Okay. But remember when Gladstone stood right here and he said, that God's not looking for a place to visit like revival. He's looking for a place to come rest and habitate. And that place right, is the Sermon on the Mount. That place is the Jesus way. So Jesus, though God says uh, through Isaiah, thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? Where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. In other words, how can you build something for me? My hand made the stuff you're building it out of. Which goes back to my over uh, broken record story that the building is a building, the church is right here, and we are the people that we are the house being built, stone, living stones being built together to house his presence, to house God, right? So anyway, my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But this one thing I will look. This to this one, to, no, not this one thing, to this one person I look. Well, stop right now. In our human thinking. We know what he's looking for. He's looking for the strongest man in Israel. He's looking for the widest shoulders and the, 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 the mightiest warrior. We love David the warrior. Right? We love David the warrior. We're like, David, stop drooling on yourself, dude. We don't like that David. You see what I'm saying? Like, it, it, nobody wants to be the drooling David. Everybody wants to be the slingshot David. But you don't 
get to the throne without your drooling moment. <laughs> this one person I look to him who is poor. Same word. That's the word. Humble. Poor in spirit. Contrite in spirit. And who trembles at my word. Right? That when God calls us to these things, in other words, God looking for the man who isn't so full of stuff that he can build on it. He's looking for the man who is so empty he can possess. And there's this reoccurring theme all over the scripture where it's like wine skin. He can't, you can't put old wine or new wine in an old wine skin. It'll blow up. You've got to have something empty that can contain it. If you have demons in a house, you've got to get rid of the demons. But, you gotta, but the, 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 you can't, God can't occupy the same house with the demons, right? You see what I'm saying? Like, and so there's this sense of all throughout scripture that the only place God can occupy is the thing that's empty. So to be poor in spirit means I'm, I'm losing all of me so that I can be possessed by all of him. And that right there, look at me all across this room. That right there will be a hurdle in your discipleship process. When you reach that point where you say, I'm losing myself. And then you go, that's where I'm going, like, yeah. You're like, no, no, no. I'm losing myself. I don't know who I am anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I literally had people walk away from the faith, walk away from this church, and they're, 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 what they said to me was, I just don't know who I am anymore. I'm like, What's the, that, that's the point. Yeah. Like, you didn't come to, like, have a cleaned-up version of you, a polished Jesus-added-to-you life. You came to completely be emptied, lose yourself, uh, if any man wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. He must die daily. God possesses the empty man, the poor man who has nothing to compete with. Make sense? But to this one, I will look to him who is humble, poor, of spirit, contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. Dr. Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, this is in your notes, in his book on the Sermon on the Mount, described the first beatitude of being poor in spirit as an emptying before you can be filled up, uh, as an emptying of self so that there's room for him, or as a fall before the rise. In the kingdom, the way up is... Say it with me. In the kingdom, the way up is... Yeah. I'm going to show you a scripture most of you all probably haven't realized it's in the Bible before. Okay? Go to Luke. Go to Luke. Jesus is a baby. He has just been born. His parents take him to the temple, right? And you have this old man who starts prophesying over the baby. This is what the old man prophesies. His father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Verse 34. This is in your notes. Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall. If I follow Jesus, I get to rise. This baby, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel. He is a sign to be opposed. Yeah. 
This is nuts. Jesus is a child that when you look at him, the first thing you have to do is like the worshipers who saw Jesus as a baby is they came and fell on their face. They fall. And then he was opposed. And then go on, verse, uh, verse 35. A sword will pierce, look at me, your side. No, 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 that's not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up to Jesus to fall, to have something that will oppose, have something in my life that will oppose this so I may be transformed into that. I didn't sign up for a sword in my side. To the ends, look, a sword that will pierce your even so. It's almost like the spirit that divides soul and sunder to the intents and the thoughts of the heart, the scripture says. To the end that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Look at me all across this room. If Jesus Christ walked in this room right now in the flesh and looked in you in the eye and then played what's in your heart and in your mind on a movie screen, here's what he does. When Jesus comes, he exposes the intents and the thoughts of hearts. Right? The motivations. Why are we doing this? What are we in this gospel thing for? Are we just trying to get to heaven one day? Or are we convinced that he's the king and his way is the way and that I'm going to follow him with every ounce of my life, even to the death? This is exactly what Paul said, by life or by death, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I told you it's going to be less heavy than last week. That was a joke. Nobody laughed. So listen to this. This is what I believe is currently happening in the body of Christ. Hearts are being revealed. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm not going to get into all the stuff happening in the church, but I'm just going to say it. Hearts are being revealed. The church is currently <laughs> on a downward trajectory. The church is in free fall. Everybody's going down. The only difference, there's two, only, only two kinds of people. One who take the trips voluntarily and one who don't. There's ones who's embracing the word like this, blessed are the poor in spirit, and they're humbling themselves before God on a very real level right now. Or there's God who's humbling people all over the body of Christ right now. My advice, take the trip voluntarily. God, if we actually believe that Scripture says that his bride, uh, he's coming back for his bride, but he's purifying his bride, it's a humbling process to be purified. It's a downward trajectory. It's a fall. It's an emptying of self. And I'm here to tell you, you want to take this trip voluntarily. But everybody's going on the trip. Does that make sense? Everybody's going. Go willingly, <laughs> right? Don't go kicking and screaming. Go, I'm going where you are. I will follow you. If any man wishes to follow after me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, die daily. Amen, Brother Chester. That is so encouraging. We love it. How many of y'all love it? <laughs> cool. I got more scripture. Y'all want more scripture? Okay, let's see here. Where were we at? We were in Luke, weren't we? 
Let's try 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The cross, the teaching, the word of the cross is foolishness. Everybody say foolish. The days are over. Look at me. The days are over when we can be associated with Jesus and still keep our dignity. We have to turn into fools. Where does the Beatitudes end? Anybody? What's the eighth one? Blessed are the, for those who are persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom. This is the trajectory of the gospel. The trajectory of the gospel ends in persecution. We can never embrace, rejoice, and be glad of being persecuted unless we first are willing to be the most poorest, foolish people for the sake of Jesus. Amen? Okay, it's getting quiet in here. I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but it is getting quiet. 18. Now, we'll go back to 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness. I raise your hand. <laughs> okay, don't do this because somebody raised their hand and I'll feel bad. Uh, the more I study this stuff, the more unwise I become. The more of a fool I become. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not very wise. What do you mean? I mean, I'm getting smart enough to know I'm not very wise. To those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God, the cross. And by the way, the gospel, the message of the cross, is not just the gospel of salvation that gets you to heaven. It's the gospel of, look, we think about the cross and we think about Jesus dying at the end. But Jesus teaches the cross as a daily lifestyle while he's still living and walking. The message of the daily lifestyle of picking up your cross and following after Jesus is foolishness. To the, what, to, to, to the earth, to man, right? To, to human wisdom, that's foolishness. So the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God. The power of God is that walk of the death man, right? That's the power of God. Verse 19, verse 19. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I almost said a while ago, raise your hand if you're wise, but then I would kind of tell you you're going to, to, you're going to be destroyed. Then the smartest thing you can do is get foolish. That way you don't get destroyed. Good preaching, Pastor Chester. The cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Nope. Right? Nope. You clever, ain't you, boy? Mm -mm. You smart, ain't you? Nope. I need you to drool on yourself. See what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? There's, Paul, and that's like David's like, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get away from this, this king who's, I'm caught now. He knows what's up. What, I, maybe, I can, maybe I can do what I did last time. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, right, you see, like he's got no answers. He, he's got no, uh, no clever. He's not, he's not, he's not wise. He, does, he doesn't know what to do. I'll just drool on myself. And that's how, God, that's how God saved his life and ended up saving Israel. See what I'm saying? Verse 20, where's the wise man? Raise your hand if you're wise. Where's the scribe? 
Where's the debater of this age? Where's the one who can argue the deep things of God? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. You can't get to the knowledge of God by the wisdom of man. You can't get there. The only way you get to the knowledge of God, the only way you climb the mountain of the Lord to ascend the hill of the Lord, clean hands, pure heart, the only way you get to see God is to get foolish, humble, poor, meek, lowly. No self-righteousness, no ability to do it on my own. Make sense? God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to those who will believe. Keep on going. Keep on going. Verse 22. That's that the last one? Okay, my bad. I'm sorry, brother. All right, let's go to, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 4. And then I'm going to finish with Isaiah 57. 1 Corinthians 4 says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Put that up there for me, brother. Verse 8. You got it? Probably the last one I gave you. Okay. Remember last week the, the, uh, the, the church in Revelation? Right? You're already rich. Right? You're already wealthy. All that kind of stuff. Remember that? Laodicea. Remember that? This is what Paul saying the same thing to the Corinthians. Uh, you're not empty, you're already filled. You see it? I need you to be empty, but you're already filled. Uh, I need you to be poor, you're already become rich. Did y'all realize how much of this stuff is in the Word? We've been taught over and over and over and over and over here. God wants to bless you and make you rich and give you the, uh, and just give and give, and you're going to be the head. Not, I, mean, I mean, it's just all this build you up, build you up. And that's, there's some truth to that, but we don't understand the process goes from biting the dust. Nobody's willing to go low to get to the kingdom. Everybody wants the kingdom without any problems or any struggle or any suffering. Or any, you understand what I'm saying? You're already filled. You're already rich. I love this. David is uh, sarcastic and a little bit mocking them. That's why I like, or not David, Paul is. That's why I like him here, right? This is what Paul says. You're already kings. Every time Paul identified himself in every one of his letters, I'm Paul, the apostle. I'm the chief bondservant. I'm the, I'm the number one slave. I'm the most wretched sinner. And they're calling themselves kings. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish, this is Paul, I wish you were. I'd join your team. That's what he says. I wish you were king so that we might reign with you. Verse 9 says this. For I think God has exhibited us apostles the least of all. Pastor Chester, we want apostolic church. 
We need the we need the fivefold ministry. We need the apostle. You know what apostolic church is? Look at me. Apostolic church is let's all die together. Let's all drool on ourselves at the same time and see if Jesus shows up. God has exhibited us apostles. Last of all, men condemned to death. We have become a spectacle. I don't know. Like David when he drooled on himself. We have become a spectacle to the world. Not just to the world, to angels and men. We're the laughing stock of the world. The Apostle Paul and his missionary team who is planning the gospel that was still thriving in those areas today was able to do so because he was willing to become the spectacle, or I would say poor in spirit. Verse 9, verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake. Yeah, somebody say, yay. Come on, cheer. Be glad. <laughs> Nobody. Like, no. I mean, the camp's like, no, I don't know about this, brother. <laughs> How much different is this than what's being preached today, right? You're going to be a king. You're going to be, the, you're going to be at the top, and everybody's going to come to you for everything and wisdom and knowledge, and you're just going to spew out God's gifts and all this kind of stuff. And, like, uh, and, and Paul's over there. Apostle Paul was in our church. He'd be over here be like, uh, uh, right? Like, drooling. Like, he'd be like, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm a spectacle. Angels don't even like me. We are fools for Christ's sake. You are prudent in Christ. Are they really prudent in Christ? Who's the prudent one here? I'm going with Paul. You're prudent. We're weak. That's what he says. Look at it. You're prudent. We are weak. You're strong. Uh, You're distinguished. We don't have any honor. This is, this, is my, this is what it means to be poor in spirit. Who wants to be the least honored, the most undistinguished, the weakest one whose my grace is sufficient and who, was, who really only lives by the grace of God? Verse 11. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. Blessed are the hungry. For they shall be. We are poorly clothed. Blessed are the poor, for the kingdom is theirs. We are roughly treated. Blessed are you when they lie about you and revile you and speak all kinds of evil against you. We're homeless. Any man who wishes to come after me will have no place to lay his head. Verse 12 We toil. Working with our own hands. We're reviled. Blessed are you when they revile you. Speak all kinds of evil against you. We bless when we're persecuted. Rejoice and be glad when they do these things. Bless and don't curse. We endure. Verse 13. When we're slandered. That's what's going to happen. We try to... That word, 
Consolate? That's what I said, okay? We become the scum of the world. Nobody's preaching this gospel. Uh, Jesus is here. He has a plan for your life. His plan for your life is that he uh, definitely wants to make you the uh, scum of the world. No, thank you. That's why it was prophesied that he would be opposed. We are the scum of the world, the dregs of all things. Look at me. This is later on in his ministry. Even right now is what he says. In other words, we've not grown out of it. I'm really afraid that we've turned Jesus into a bus ticket to greatness. I'm really afraid that we've turned Jesus into a fast track of fame and fortune and all of this kind of stuff. Pastor Chester, I don't want to be poor in spirit no more. Right? Good, because you can't. Uh, unless you get in the spirit, and then you can. Look, when Paul and Silas are in that prison wrongly imprisoned and the birth of the Philippian church happens because they start singing and rejoicing and being glad. It didn't come from their flesh. It come because they legitimately felt that way because they lived by the spirit and the flesh didn't determine how they felt and how they walked and how they lived and how they thought. The spirit did. That's why we need it. Last verse, and I'll be done for the day, I think. Y'all got notes. You can tell me if I'm done or not. Last verse. 1149, I'm doing great. Isaiah 57. I got more scripture if we if want to do it, but we're, we won't do it today because we, we got to go home before the storm and get to the Super Bowl party. Last verse. It will be said, build up, build up. Look at me, look at me. It will be said of your life and of the church. Build it up, build it up. Go higher, go higher. Become greater, become greater. Move the stumbling block. What it says. That's what will be said. Build them up. Build them up. Move the stumbling block. What's the stumbling block, by the way, according to Paul? Jesus. Christ is the stumbling block of Israel and foolishness of the Gentiles. We're meant to trip over Jesus and fall flat on our face at the revelation of who he is. We need more saw on the road to Damascus experiences and less close your eyes and bow your head and repeat after me experiences. 
We need more woe is me in the temple and less of look what I have done. That's what he said. Build it up. Higher. Greater. Come on. You can, you're, you're, build yourself up. You're, I'm not talking about in the faith. I'm talking about like your life is going to become great. Build it up. Build it up. Get the stumbling block out of the way. That's what everybody says. But what you're meant to do is run smack dab into Jesus, fall flat on your face and go, I am nothing. Please, please, please have mercy upon me. Verse 15. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. In other words, God shows up and says, I say something. That's what you say. This is what I say. I dwell on a high and holy place. And also I dwell with the contrite and lowly spirit. In order, look at me. This is what I believe wholeheartedly. If the spirit was prophesying right now, I believe he's using Isaiah 57 right now to say, I'm here in order to revive the spirit of the lowly. I'm here in order to revive the heart of the contrite. This is what, we want revival? This is a lowly revival. This is a contrition revival. That's the revival we need. And that's where he dwells. I dwell in the high place. Where's the high place? The lowly heart. <laughs> oh my God, that's so good, right? I dwell in the high place. I dwell in the high place. Where's that? The poor man. I'm going to read a few more verses. Just listen. Back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Jews ask for a sign. Greeks search for wisdom. This is in your notes if you want to read it. Verse 22. We preach Christ crucified. I would like an amen. We preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block. To the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the foolishness of Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than mankind. The weakness of God is stronger than mankind. Come on, y'all can do better than that. Amen. Amen. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. This is so, uh, Paul, you're such a Bad dude. Not bad, but just like you shouldn't talk this way to people. Listen to what he says to the Corinthian church. I'm not calling you this. Paul is calling you this. Can we make a clear distinction in the house of the Lord? Consider who you are, brothers and sisters. Uh, Not many of you are wise. You're not that smart. Can you imagine Paul standing for the Corinthian church? Uh, I need you to remember who you are. You're not that smart. 
according to the flesh, uh, you're not very strong. You're not mighty. And you're not kingly. You're not noble. I'll be dog if the gospel doesn't teach you the exact opposite right now in the world. Come to the house of the Lord. We're going to tell you how great you are, how noble you are, how smart you are, how much God needs you on his team. He needs you to go to heaven, man. That's what he wants you to go. He's begging for you to go to heaven. He got to have you. Paul says, by the way, you're not that smart. You're pretty weak and uh, you're not like kings at all. You're peasants. Yeah, you're poor. But here's the cool thing that you are. But God has chosen. Come on, church. But God has chosen the foolish things. That's you. And me. Can I participate, guys? That's us. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world that, that, uh, to shame the things that are strong. God uh, has chosen the insignificant. God make us insignificant. God has chosen the insignificant things of the world. Uh, the base. Uh, I mean, it Paul's like, uh, you're pretty base. I mean, like, like the meter barely moves. God has chosen the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. Who are you with today? Who are you, whose side are you on? I serve the one everybody hates. I'm teamed up with him. Didn't he say if they persecuted me, the, if they hate you, the, they all, that we build this church world where we don't, we're not hated, we're not despised, we're not rejected. He did that so we don't have to do that. No. He did that to show you how to do that. He called you to the lifestyle. God has chosen the things that are not. Raise your hand if you're something. No, I'm not. What are you? Not. So that he may nullify the things that are. So that. This is what we want. If we're going to say glory to God, we got to mean it. If we're going to say to all the glory, all the power, all the honor belong to God, then we got to go down, 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 insignificant, nothing, burger. So that human, no human can stand and boast before God. Which is exactly Phariseeism. My righteousness, my ability, uh, I, I, look what I've done. I've, I've incurred some ability to, to approach the throne of God. Uh, you know, and, and all that kind of thing. No, I didn't incur any ability. I literally only got to the throne room because of the blood of Jesus. My confidence is not in the flesh. My confidence is that Jesus' blood prepared a way for me to go. So that no man may boast before God. Verse 30. But by his doing, yeah, because I couldn't have done it. Because why? I'm poor. I'm nothing. I'm, uh, I'm pretty despised. I'm shameful. I'm, um, I am, uh, yeah, I, like, I got no abilities. 
if I throw a rock, it bounces off of a piece of glass. I could never make a rock sink into a giant's head. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom. Why in the world would you ever rely on human wisdom when you can have God's? And righteousness and sanctification. What is sanctification? The process of becoming more like him. That is the daily walk of picking up your cross following after Jesus. It's the sanctified walk, right? Sanctification, redemption. Verse 31, right? So that just as it is written, if anybody in the room today is going to brag, brag on Jesus. The whole message to get to right there. If anybody has anything clever to say, his name is Jesus. If anything has anything, anything is significant to say, his name is Jesus. If anything has anything, if anybody has anything wise to say, his name is wisdom and strength and power and glory to our God. Let every man be quiet and let God's mouth speak. That's where we are. Praise God. Poor in spirit. Drooling. So let's all practice right now. Stand up on your feet. I'm done. Church at the armory, where you go to church and the preacher yells at you for an hour for two weeks in a row about how rotten you are. Ladies and gentlemen, I know I'm kind of being funny or whatever. I believe this. I did not say that I've got it mastered. I believe this is the way. I'm asking all of us, put our nose to the grindstone. Become fools. I was in Phoenix one time. I'll tell this story real fast and you're gone. I was in Phoenix one time at a Delirious concert. Delirious was my favorite worship band, uh, Christian band one t- back in the day. It was a really cool concert in a, the... Uh, the stage was a circle, and the, and the arena was a big circle, and the stage was in the middle, and it would rotate, one full rotation every half hour. And so Delirious is a British band, right? And they, they looked like the Beatles uh, with Jesus, right? They all got the black suits on and the black tie and the white shirts, and, like, Martin Smith has written so many songs that we still sing even in worship today, like, and he's British, and so he's cool, right? He's like, yeah, man. First time I've ever played on a spinning stage, yeah, right? Like he's doing all, and it's like, it's really cool. And so, I mean, I just think this guy is the coolest guy ever. They wrote a song called King of Fools, and it's the idea that he'll become the greatest fool for Jesus. And in the middle of this song, really rocking song, I mean, you know, they look like the Beatles. They got their black suits, their skinny black tie, their white shirt. He is dressed in the nines. He's singing. He sounds like an angel when he sings. And then he, in the middle of the song, in an instrumental solo, 
he turns around, reaches into a box on stage, and he puts on a, this oversized, goofy jester's hat. You know, like the jester, like a king's court, the jester clown hat. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know that? He puts on this jester's hat and begins, like, dancing dumb and, like, falling down and standing back up and, like, stammering. And, just, he be, and, and, and he's just, like, he's acting like a crazy person. And at first you're like, uh, you know, because anytime celebrities do something that's cool at first, Right? And then you're like, the more you watch him, the more awkward it gets because he won't stop and he's just acting ridiculous. And then he, and then he go, and then in the middle of this song, he, he goes off and he says, and I'll be a king of fools. And that's all he said. If we desire to be great, if we desire to be noble, if we desire to be kings, let's be a king of fools. For the sake of Christ. To follow his ways and to love him so radically that this world thinks we're foolish. Father God, we love you tonight. We honor you today. Let your word go deep in our hearts. Let it bear fruit. May we become fools for the namesake of Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a wonderful day.